1224 16th Street North in Moorhead, Minnesota. A few of us know where that is. Let's raise our hand because my mom and dad lived there. Come on, Lenore, you've been there. So's Regina, David, Todd. It's on the edge of town in North Moorhead. Now, I always say a great sermon talks about North Dakota. This is about a half mile from North Dakota. It's just over the Red River. And so this is actually, when you cross the Red River from Fargo into Moorhead, there's a little toll bridge they used to have. They changed it. You don't pay a toll anymore. And you're on the edge of town. As you drive over to where my parents used to live, to the left is beautiful farmland and a gas station that you can get gas, of course. Convenience store, a few things like that. Not much else. There's a big church on the right-hand side, and then you drive into a neighborhood, and to the right is Moorhead, and to the left is farmland. Do you know what happened when you'd go to my parents? One of the things I noticed? Smells. <laughs> Smells that you don't get in Plymouth, Massachusetts. You see, when you live on the edge of town, and the farms are all around it, you get all kinds of different smells. The smells are different depending on what you're smelling, and we're going to talk about that in our message today. But they're also different be depending on who you are and how you perceive them. Let me tell you why I say that. My wife grew up with her grandfather having a farm. We were townies. We didn't live on the farm. So there's certain smells that I go, oh, that's awful. Regina says, oh, no, that's pleasant, fresh country air. We can talk about that later. So not only do smells smell different, but how we perceive them is different. For instance, fresh mown hay smells one way, and it's great. Burning leaves, there's nothing better than burning leaves. Yesterday I was driving over through Carver, and somebody was burning leaves, and I thought, how prophetic for my sermon today. I love the smell. But man, get the sugar beet plant going in, in North Moorhead, and you are not going to like what you're smelling, and it doesn't smell like sugar beets. It smells like something else. Trust me. <laughs> Why do I say that? Because the book of Leviticus, if you've been reading through the Bible with us, or if you've been listening, we just concluded the book of Leviticus, smells are important in the book of Leviticus. We learn that God asks his people to be holy, to be holy, to be different than everybody else. Holy means set apart. And so as you've read through all of these rules and all of these regulations and all of these things, and Pastor David began it with chapter 1. David told you what side of the altar you needed to be on. Now, I'm sorry, I've lived here in Plymouth for 18 years. I don't know where north is yet. I couldn't have been a Levitical priest. But if you read it and you hear it, they came down to every single detail. Because they were holy, they were different. They had to follow these many rules. With all these rules, the Bible tells us that Jesus fulfills it. You read through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, don't think I came to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. Praise God. Otherwise, I'd have to do all those things, and so would you. And it would be rule upon rule, and regulation upon regulation, and did I get this right, and did I do this properly? All simply so we could center around our forgiveness, but also so that we could be a holy and set-apart people and look, like, look different than everyone else. With these rules, yes, we are thankful that Jesus fulfilled them. But with these rules, they also ended usually with the burning of something. Sometimes it was an animal. Think of Thanksgiving Day. 
walk in on Thanksgiving. I don't cook. But I go in and I smell the smells. And I go, my wife is cooking a wonderful Thanksgiving turkey. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Side note, I asked you all to write turkey in the memo line. People last night did it. I collected some chairs checks afterwards, and I thought, why are people donating for Thanksgiving baskets? And I go, oh, that's right. I told them to donate to Turkey. I'm sorry. True story. <laughs> Has nothing to do with the message either. But the truth is, at the end, when people were faithful, they brought a sacrifice. It could be a grain sacrifice. It could be an animal sacrifice, and it was burnt. And even in chapter 1, three different times, in verse 9, in verse 13, in verse 17, it ends with this. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to God. Do you hear that? When people did everything right, they followed all the rules, they ended with the sacrifice, and they imagined and they thought about it, and they said, this is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. What's that all about? You see, aroma meant that they had done everything. They'd done all the things to be a set-apart people. Starting to make sense? They'd fulfilled everything. They'd followed all the rules. They'd followed all the regulations. They'd picked the right animal. They'd gathered the right grain. They gathered the right amount. The right person did it. They brought it in. They brought it to the temple. They put it on an altar, like we have an altar here, and they burned it. And they're like, wow, God enjoys the smell of our sacrifice, not just because of the sacrifice, but because of what it represented, that his people were holy. They were set apart. They were willing to do the things that made a difference. And yes, Jesus fulfilled all this, and he is our sacrifice. Praise God. But now about the Roma. Does the aroma go away? Do we just say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins? And I'm happy because I'm a Christian, and therefore I can go live however I want. John Wesley called that antinomianism, no law. And he preached against it. The founder of the Methodist movement said, there's a problem with that, folks, because God wants his people to be holy. God wants us to live different than the rest of the world. And guess what, folks? The world wants us to live differently, too. Because when we learn to live as Christians, when we learn to live faithfully, when our lives are a sweet aroma to God, others are watching. And when people go through tough times, I can't tell you how many times people in our church have come to me and said, it's amazing, Pastor Stan. I didn't even know anybody cared that I went to church until they were going through a tough time and they pulled me aside and said, would you pray for me? Would your church hold us in prayer? What about the aroma? Yes, Jesus fulfilled it. But now it's incumbent upon us not to work for our salvation, not to work in order that we are forgiven, but to continue to live it out, not to be against any law and say, I can do whatever I want, but to let the Holy Spirit transform our hearts so that we are a set-apart people, that we learn to live faithfully that we learn to let the Holy Spirit change our lives so we get better, or as we like to say, become more conformed to the image of Christ. And so in Corinthians, Paul writes four letters. Two of them appear in the New Testament. We know he wrote four letters because of things that are said within them and how he refers to letters that we don't have, so we know he wrote at least four letters to these people. The Corinthian church is an interesting church. They were on a seacoast. 
Therefore, the town of Corinth was a very wealthy community. Same thing happens today. Look at the economic breakdown of America. And look at how much wealth is held on the seacoast because different from the center of the country. And there's a reason for that because that's where trade can take place. And it's always been that way. Even with air tra airplanes, that's where they can land first. Once they're over the, the ocean, they land there. Well, in the ancient world, that's where the ships would come and go. And so Corinth became this wealthy community. Because of the wealthy community, the church was doing well. Because of that, they were well-educated. Because of that, they were talented. And Paul talks about all these things to them. You have all of these things. You have amazing things. You have great gifts. You have great abilities. You're wealthier than others. He even talked about their ecstatic experiences. He said, religious experiences, you have more than anyone else, but you're lacking something. You're lacking love and how you treat people. Your lives have not been transformed. He goes through in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It talks about all the different things that they have. And all they can speak in tongues and they can prophesy and they can see. And he goes, none of it means anything. It's all a gang, a gonging symbol. An out-of-tune noise if you aren't loving and caring towards people. Because what God wants us to be is not to be, oh, I'm so blessed, I love my Christian life, but transform, praise God, in order that our lives are changed so that we're pleasing aroma to God. Do you hear the difference? God doesn't call us to be Christian so we can feel good about ourselves. God transforms our lives so we become better people. So we become more in the image of Jesus. So we make a difference in this world. We call this holiness, being set apart. It's the same thing that happens in Leviticus. They're set apart by doing all their things. We're set apart as the Holy Spirit changes our lives. And our lives now go from being an unpleasant aroma to God to a pleasing aroma to God. But get who, guess who gets to make the choice? We do. You see, God doesn't come into our lives and force us to all of a sudden drive the car differently. Now, there are new little gadgets on the car that do do that, but that's not God. When you're driving down your car and your little car is wiggling, you can't say, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for correcting that I'm going over the line. I call them old man beeps. That's because when I got in my car that beeped, I started noticing that I was getting old and how many times I was getting too close to the line and my car would go beep, beep, beep. That's Chevy who did that. That's not God. <laughs> but here's the point. God doesn't force us to change how we drive. God doesn't force us to change how we talk to people. God doesn't force us to be forgiving. But God invites us to let the Holy Spirit transform our lives. So we start driving different. We start talking different. We start treating people different. And we become conformed to the image of Christ. Amen? Amen. And that's what the scripture teaches us. So what about the fragrance? That's why we read 2 Corinthians. Because now the Apostle Paul in this letter is talking about the fragrance. Yes, Jesus has fulfilled the sacrifice. Yes, the rules have all been met. But now we get to choose what kind of smell we are to God. Isn't that a humbling thought? My little Ruby, my little granddaughter, she's starting to discover smells. <laughs> Grandpa, it smells bad in here. Hmm, <laughs> I like that smell, Grandma. Well, Paul tells us obedience is a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. That's a direct quote from our scripture. 
2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. How we live is a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. Consider that aroma that, the Levit- that we read about in Leviticus. It meant the people were obeying. After the, all of their obedience, they burnt the sacrifice, and now all of a sudden the fragrance would go to God, and they would say, God is pleased in what he's smelling. He knows that we've done the right thing. Likewise, Jesus obeyed in every way, and we know that God takes pleasure, not in what happened to Jesus, but in his obedience. Hear the difference? He goes through a tough time. He gets rejected. He gets spat upon. He stays faithful. At the end, he's hanging on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. To the last dying moment, Jesus stayed faithful, and his life was a pleasing aroma to God. Us, not so much. Amen? Us, not so much. We aren't always the sweet aroma that we should be. We don't always live the way that we should. Now, when I was a kid, I played violin. Trust me, you're never going to hear that um, done in this church. And I took violin lessons every Saturday. Now, I don't know what my violin smelled like, but I do know what my violin sounded like, and I know a little bit about playing the violin. I had to get out my bow, and I had to tighten it up, and I had to put rosin all over the bow, and then I would practice. And if I would bow just perfectly, the rosin would all fall in a certain place, but if my bowing was a little bit off, the rosin would fall on the fingerboard, which was black. If you think of a violin, it's got a black section, and you could see that I had bowed improperly. So my mom and dad would leave in the evening, and my mom would say, remember, Stanley, you need to practice for one hour. I had it all figured out. I'd tighten up my bow. I'd put rosin all over my bow. I would take my violin. I'd make sure it's up on the fingerboard, and I'd go a couple times like that. The rosin would fall on the fingerboard. I'd put the the bow and the violin away, and I'd watch M.A.S.H. (laughs) My mom would come home, and she'd say, you forgot to loosen the bow, and honey, you need to make your bowing a little bit straighter, but thank you for practicing. Yeah, I fooled my mom. Sorry, mom. (laughs) However, I could fool my mother, but I couldn't fool Mrs. Forkner, who taught my violin lesson every Saturday. She didn't go by the smell. She didn't look for the rosin. She listened to the sound. And she'd say, I don't care what your mother's telling me. It doesn't sound like you were practicing this last week. You see, we can fool people. Get it? We can act like we're differently than we are. But God sees us. God knows whether our life is a pleasant sound or it's out of tune. God knows whether we're doing the right thing or we're just trying to fool people. And God knows what kind of aroma to our almighty heavenly Father we're giving off. And so Paul reminds us, yes, it's good that Jesus fulfilled all the law, but we have a responsibility to turn our lives over to the care of the Holy Spirit, to transform our lives so that we become the people that God wants us to be. Let's consider Moorhead, Minnesota. I could tell the difference between a sugar beet plant and burning leaves. I still can. And God knows how we're living our lives. And we aren't answerable to one another. We're not answerable to Pastor Stan. We're answerable to God. That's who smells our life. That's who asks us to allow him to change us. 
Because the truth is, in this world even, our fragrance is perceived differently by different people. Do you realize that? When you and I live a faithful life, two different people can have completely different perspectives on that. And one person can view it one way, and another person can view it a different way. That's why in the second part of verse 15 of chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says the fragrance, that's our life, is perceived different by those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Church, we can live the right way and we are pleasing to God. Amen? Amen. However, church, we are powerless over how others perceive us. Amen? Amen? Hear me again. You are powerless over how others perceive you. If you spend your life trying to live in such a way that you're making everybody else happy, that's a black hole that'll never get filled. That's a black hole. God does not ask us to be people pleasers. God asks us to be faithful Christians. Paul goes so far as to say to some people, your very faith is offensive to them and there's nothing you can do about it. He calls it a dreadful smell. Verse 16. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. Now, it's time for a grammar lesson. Aren't you glad? Okay, school's in session for a moment. How many of you did your quizzes last night? No, never mind. How many of you have your notebooks and are ready to take notes? Come on, class. We're in school, and it's time for grammar. What the Apostle Paul uses here is a present participle. How many of you came thinking you're going to have a sermon on a present participle? Do you know what a present participle is? Think of it as an ing word. I'm breathing. That's a present participle. That means I was breathing when I did it. I'm still breathing, and hopefully I'm going to keep doing it in the future. Get it? Verbs aren't always like that. I ate breakfast. That means I ate breakfast. That happens in the past. That's a past tense verb. But a present participle is something that happens and continues to happen. So here's what Paul is saying. Grammar class, by the way, is over. Now we're back to preaching. To those who are perishing, present participle. To those who have pushed God out of their life and said, I want nothing to do with God. I don't care what your faith is. I'm not open to what you're doing. I'm All set, leave me alone. To those who have made that choice, your life can smell like a dead animal. Those aren't my words, those are Paul's words. To those who do not like Christians, they're not going to like Christians. To those who don't like something else in your life, you can spend all of your life trying to convince people of something. All you're going to do is make yourself nuts. Because the same thing happens. Others try to do the same thing with us. We, we are not here to live in such a way that we say, well, I have to make everybody else happy because I'm a good Christian. No, that's called being a crazy American. What we're called to do is to live a faithful life. And in living a faithful life, to realize that some people are not going to like decisions that we make. Do you know we have a new room as you walk down the hall? Go past the office and to the right, there's a really nice room. It used to be two rooms, and it used to have a big divider in it. One day, the divider was being taken out, and Darren Brown, Darren's here. Where's Darren? Raise your hand. Nice and high. Darren took the divider out. Do you know how I know? I walked into the church that day, and I smelled the worst smell I've ever smelled. This church smelled awful. 
And I walked down, I said, Darren, what happened? He said, there was a dead something in that wall that I removed. It was horrible. Now, is Genefson here? I saw Genefson last night. He maybe is coming later. Genefson owns a, re owns a remediation company. He came over and he got rid of the smell of that horrible animal, and it took days to get rid of it. You know, a decaying animal in a wall when you rip it out is awful. It's not pleasant. It wasn't something that I said, oh, I'm going to go on Facebook and tell everybody, oh, you got to hurry down to Faith Community Church because you will love what it smells like in our building. <laughs> what Paul says is there are people in your life, good news, bad news, people in your life or people that you run in contact with every day who don't like your faith. They don't like it. They don't like your beliefs. They don't like that you're a Christian. They don't want you to be a Christian. They don't understand. They will criticize everything. They'll even criticize when you take up a collection for Turkey. I've had it happen. Why are we doing that stuff? doesn't make a difference. Because Jesus commanded us. Because it's how we're asked to live our lives. You see, when we choose to live faithful lives, we have no control over how others perceive us. Someone whose heart is close to God views our faith in a similar negative way. To those, however, he goes on, who are being saved, to those who are open to God's working in their life, he says, not me, Bible says it, verse 16, to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. Again, present participle, we already looked at it, we don't have to look at it again. This means no matter where someone is on that faith journey, even if they woke up this morning and they said, you know what, maybe I should give church a chance. They're going to be pleased to find out that you went to church. They're going to be pleased to find out the things that you're doing. They're going to be pleased if you say, oh, I went to church this last weekend and I had a cup of coffee on my way in. Because they're working on, do I want to give my life to Jesus? Do I want my life to get better? Do I want to believe that God can transform it? And Paul says, wherever they are on that journey, just like breathing, wherever they are, whether they started it, whether they've been following Christ for years, wherever they are, when we're living faithful lives, we're an encouragement to people. I remember the day that Regina came home and discovered another person at a place she was working was involved with another church and it was so pleasing to her. Such a positive thing that these two women just were happy that each other went to a church, different churches in the same town, but it didn't matter because that's how it's perceived when we are being faithful. I say that because I'm wearing my Asbury shirt. Last week I was at Asbury College, and this week an Asbury revival broke out. Amen. Thousands of students have stayed at that school 24 hours a day praying and worshiping God, giving their life to Jesus. Now busloads are going to, into that college. Friday night at midnight, the auditorium was still packed continues to happen over the weekend. Because at the end of a chapel service, some students stuck around and they confessed some sin and they started praying with each other and others started staying and pretty soon the entire day people were there praying and worshiping. And it's continued to happen. And it wasn't planned, it was just something that happened. The same thing happened back in 1970. 
Now, people try to figure out why do these things happen at certain times. I don't know. Students from other colleges have heard about it, and students at other colleges have gone to their chapels, and they're praying, and they're confessing their sin, and kids are calling up their parents and saying, Mom, I know I shouldn't have said what I said to you over Christmas break. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And roommates are finding out that they can talk with each other, and they can encourage each other, and their lives are transformed as they give their life to Jesus and try to do things differently. And seminary professors are going in and are sitting in chapel. One of my professors wrote to me, wrote to a number of people, and said, it was amazing just sitting in the chapel and seeing people pray and confess their sins and let God transform their lives. And it's encouraged people like me who's not there because that's what the Bible says, that when people do the right things and live the right way, their life is a perfume, a sweet perfume to other Christians, a sweet perfume to God, and we get encouraged by that. But you know what else is happening? That people are criticizing it. I got somebody who texted me and said something really pretty negative about it. Then I started realizing there are people who are criticizing. I'm sitting here going, in today's world, are you kidding me? Where parents send their kids to school and they're concerned that their kids might make a bad decision and could get in a car accident or overdose and somebody's going to criticize kids for going to a chapel and praying? I'm sorry, folks. That's what Paul tells us. Remember to live a faithful life. Remember who you live for. You live for God. Because the final thing we learn about the aroma is it's about God and not us. And that's why it's God's word that guides us. Paul says in verse 17, we preach the word of God with sincerity, with Christ's authority, and knowing that it's God who's watching us. I got to preach at seminary. It was interesting. I preached for 40 years, and part of my doctoral program was to preach in front of a bunch of other preachers. And I had a really interesting experience that day. I was nervous. I've been nervous preaching a sermon for probably 38 years. But that day, I got to get up in front of our classmates. Uh, it was a week ago, well, last Monday. I was the first day, and I got to give a message. And I had the message prepared ahead of time. I wrote it when I was back here, and they told me I had 20 minutes to do it. Let that think in for a couple minutes. Are you kidding me? 20 minutes? Yeah, no PowerPoint either. <laughs> handouts? No handouts. I get to preach for 20 minutes? I didn't even start my, my sermon until we're 20 minutes into it, folks. <laughs> I don't even get to warm up. the story of the little girl whose mom is a pastor. She brings a friend to church. The little girl says to her friend, friend comes to church for the first time. The little girl's mom's up front, she's a pastor, sits with the, her friend. She says, what are those boxes? The little girl says, shh, that's where we give money on Sunday morning. What's that thing up there? What, what's that? She goes, Oh, that's a, that's a Nord. That's a keyboard. We use that for our worship. Shh. What's it mean when your mom just took her watch off and put it on the pulpit? Oh, absolutely nothing. <laughs> 20 minutes. I got 20 minutes to preach. Time for my critique. 
great Bible, they told me. Thank you. You spent a lot of time in the text, and we appreciated it. But you probably should have done more with application. I'll take that criticism every time. You gave me 20 minutes, and all I talked about was the Bible? I'll take that as a critique. Sounds good to me. Do you hear me? Because that's what we're asked to do, folks. We're asked to be faithful to Scripture. God doesn't ask me if I like it. I don't think God cares if I like it. God doesn't ask me if I approve of it. God asks me to follow it. Paul then says to do it with sincerity. Do I believe it? Because if you're here today and you're hearing a pastor who doesn't believe the Scripture, then you're in the wrong church. Because it has to transform my life. And that's the same for each one of us. When you're sharing God's Word with someone, don't tell somebody else what to do that you don't believe yourself. Don't tell somebody else how to live their lives. Far too many Christians have done that. Whack somebody else over the head with something they're trying to criticize and critique someone else rather than applying it to myself. Let's just start with this one. For God so loved the world. Or the scariest verse of the Bible. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If I'm not practicing forgiveness towards others, What am I doing talking about God's word? Am I sincere? Are we sincere, Paul asks. Does it have authority? Does it change our lives? Not just do I say I believe it, but does it affect how I live? And finally, do I remember Paul's words, not mine, knowing that God is watching us? See, tie right back to the fragrance. Our lives are to be a fragrance to God. It's how God perceives our lives. Are we living faithfully before God who's watching us? Little kids, we learned it. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you touch. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you touch. There's a Father up above who is looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you touch. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. There's a Father up above who's looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. We learned that in Sunday school. We went through it all. To remember that our lives are to be a fragrance to God. And that's really our question. It's sort of like the t-shirt. I've seen the t-shirt. I'm sure you have too. Because I'm the mom, that's why. In other words, moms don't have to explain to toddlers why they make the decisions that they do. I know I'm a grandfather of a couple of toddlers. Toddlers don't understand things like why you shouldn't run in a church parking lot. But moms don't ask them to understand. They just say, don't run in the church parking lot and hold my hand. Toddlers don't understand why they shouldn't play hide-and-seek in a busy store. But moms don't really care about that. They just don't let them play hide-and-seek in a busy store. And toddlers, I know this one because I violated this one as a kid, don't understand why that pretty red burner shouldn't be touched. I did learn But moms just say, you don't do it. Why? Because I'm the mom, that's why. What the Bible asks us to do is to live in obedience to God and to learn to live a different way. If all we have is a different version of the secular world, then why are we the church? We're called to be a holy, set-apart people. We are called to be people who trust in God and give our lives to the Holy Spirit and let God transform our lives, amen? And when we do that, God tells us we are a pleasing aroma to the Father. 
that our Heavenly Father watches our lives and takes delight in His children for being obedient. He tells us we're not all going to understand each other. In our own church, we're not going to understand each other. And the world is not going to understand who and what we are. And we're not here to please the world. We are here to please God. We are here to serve one another. We are here to do the things that God asks us to do because our lives give up an aroma. Am I a foul-smelling beet plant or the pleasant aroma from a good fall leaf burning? Hear the difference? How do I want my life to matter? And this isn't somebody else's standard. Somebody else doesn't get to put the judgment on me. We get to look at our own lives and our own heart and say, Lord, where am I being faithful? Or where am I falling short? Where am I doing it my way and willfully saying, it's okay because nobody sees it anyhow, and where am I being obedient and allowing God to watch my life that I may be the sweet aroma that the Lord asks? And who determines that aroma? Are we trying to please the world? Is that the best that you can get from your church and your pastor and one another that we're trying to make everybody else happy? Or are we seeking to be faithful to God? Are we seeking to follow God in his word? 